What's up, guys? This is Mike. This is Dave, and you're listening to the Mike and Dave Podcast. What's up, everybody? This is Dave, and welcome back to the Mike and Dave Podcast. We're getting to the business end of the NBA playoffs, and we're going to cover that a little bit later on in the episode. But before that, I'm going to throw it to Mike, who's going to come up with the -the off-the-top prompt for this week. What's up, everybody? This is Mike. And yeah, we're going to just focus strictly on basketball with this. The off the top is about the NBA and something pretty topical at the moment. If you think back to episode 20, I guess that's ironic for me to say that after I said that's topical. But if you go back to episode 20, we broke down our top five favorite players in the NBA. And you had Chris Paul on there, didn't you? I did. Okay. Making sure I'm not a crazy person. Now... The Suns have officially been knocked out of the playoffs. Um, They lost in seven games to the Mavericks, and that game seven was was quite the spanking. We'll talk about it some more later, but I want to focus in on Chris Paul. I guess I just want to ask because I know that you like him, and he is an all-time great point guard, but I want to ask like how this affects his legacy, first of all, because if I look at these... uh, like if I look at the stats from game seven, 10 points, uh, four assists, he had the same amount of points as Ish Wainwright off Phoenix's bench. Um, in the series, he averaged like 13 points a game, uh, about five assists and th- just over three turnovers a game. How do you feel about how this affects his legacy? And how do you feel about his... Uh, his chances of winning a championship in the future. Well, honestly, I really don't know if it affects his legacy too much because it's kind of just the same thing that we've seen, you know? I mean, I think his legacy is regular season point God, but then he gets to the postseason and then he, he kind of flops. Now he's had some great moments in the postseason. He had some great moments in the postseason this season as well, but when it came down to it, he just didn't perform. And, you know, that's, it's tough to see. Uh, I think he can be definitely a divisive player at times, but when it comes down to it, he's still a very good player. I don't think that, I mean, this game seven loss isn't only on him. Everybody was terrible on the Suns. I mean, it was an absolute beatdown. And if you look at him and, and, you think, man, you know, he's the leader of that team other than Monty Williams, of course. Uh, maybe you say like, all right, Chris, like you, you needed to rally the troops. You needed to to get something going because the Mavericks are, you know, they came to play tonight. So like, I think there, there might be a little bit more responsibility on his shoulders there. But at the end of the day, the Mavericks came out, they dominated. The Suns just didn't have it for whatever reason. I, I don't know why that is. Uh, but you know, it's, it's sad. I, I think this son's team, I don't know what's going to happen with Chris Paul moving forward. Uh, whether he sticks with the Suns, he finds another team who knows, maybe he, he would even retire. I doubt that'll happen, but I think that this son's team does give him a chance to compete every year, but for whatever reason, 
it just still quite like hasn't quite happened. It was disappointing to see how the Suns just kind of fell on their face. His legacy, I don't think it changes all that much. It just kind of solidifies what his legacy already is. And in terms of the future, I mean, the Suns still look like, like a team who are going to be there every year. M- maybe one of these years he ends up finally making the breakthrough, but realistically, I mean, if Giannis didn't go supernova last year, maybe that would have been the one time because they kind of regressed a little bit this season and weren't able to get it done. Yeah. I mostly agree with what you're saying about the legacy. Like, like Chris Paul is one of the guys that we think of, not just in basketball, but like any, any sport, at least American team sports as one of those guys that's, you know, we respect him in the regular season. He's consistently great. His career statistics are fantastic. Um, but then, you know, he just doesn't win. He'll be one of the better players on paper to not win a championship. We up there with like Charles Barkley, Steve Nash, you know, the list goes on. As far as legacy, I think like moments matter for sure. And it's, I guess to me, I'm just being a little more harsh because it's not just that he doesn't have like the positive moment of winning a championship. And I, I do feel like last year was his year to do it. I don't think he's going to get another chance, at least not on this team as presently constructed. But to, I've never seen Chris Paul flop this hard um, or like fall short this dramatically, like in a game seven. Um, really, the last few games of that series was not like standard Chris Paul. And I'm not saying like that's how he's going to look next year or anything. Um, what I'm saying is, in series past, in seasons past, sure, he's lost in the conference semis before on those like Lob City <laughs> Clippers teams. You know, he lost in New Orleans, uh, obviously lost in the finals last year, couldn't get it done in Houston. But rarely, if ever, did I look at those series losses and go, yeah, that's Chris Paul's fault. And while this game seven is not solely Chris Paul's fault, I am very much able to look at his performance in that game and the game before and say, that's bad. Um, and so maybe this is like recency bias, but the the taste in my mouth right now is very much like, this was your time to like, like you said, rally the troops and like, you know, we know how bad you want it. Like you have to like get out there and, and make it happen. And he just emphatically did not. And so that might tarnish his legacy just a touch, but he'll get grace. He's 37, for goodness sake. I think he's still a great player. And in terms of where he's like stands among the test of time, there are plenty of people or plenty of players who never won a championship. And he's just going to be one of those who will be in the Hall of Fame, never won a championship, but it is what it is. I think that'll wrap up our conversation, at least as far as focusing on Chris Paul. But when we come back, we're going to go ahead and break down the NBA playoffs so far, specifically the uh, the conference semis and looking ahead into the rest of the playoffs. So stick around. All right, and we're back. And we just talked about the Mavericks eliminating the Suns and how that affects Chris Paul and his legacy, whether it does or does not. Uh, we'd love to hear your opinion on that, by the way. But let's look a little more in-depth at that series as a whole. Uh, Dave, aside from 
this like 33 point spanking of a game seven by the Mavericks. What are some of your takeaways from this series? So just to clarify, we're going to be going through not just this series, but, but all of the um, series that just happened in the conference semis. Um, This is just the first one in terms of my big takeaways. I mean, for me, the Suns were up two games to zero. Then they were up three games to two and still couldn't put the Mavericks away. I think that comes down to two things. Number one, the Suns just not being able to close it out, still kind of being that the young team other than Chris Paul. Um, and another, it just shows the Mavericks and like, shout out to Jason Kidd. Like, who would have thought uh, that Jason Kidd coming back, you know, them firing Rick Carlisle, everybody, like, I know there was some behind the scenes stuff going on there that had, you know, that led to that happening. But Rick Carlisle was like, a pretty good coach and had a really good run there with the Mavericks and replacing it with Jason Kidd, who like last we saw of him, like was screwing up with the bucks. It's just kind of surprising to, to see him do so well, especially coming into a situation where I think he was under a lot of pressure replacing Rick Carlisle and also like a place where he was, you know, he was a really good player. So you know, shout out to Jason Kidd. They really banded together. And I mean, obviously, after Jason Kidd, you got to look at Luca. I mean, this guy went on an absolute tear. Also, like, I feel like he, he has just enough, like, crazy in him to be, like, one of the greats and his own, like, signature moves. You know, sometimes you watch a player and you're like, this guy is just unstoppable because he's just going to do things his way um, and they're going to work. Like he just makes it work for him. I swear whenever Luca does a step back, I'm like, that's getting, that's getting blocked 100%. There's no way that he can get away with that because it's just so slow, but it doesn't matter because he gets just enough space and he's one of the best contested shooters in the NBA. I don't have the stats to back that up, but the eye test proves it to me. Um, he absolutely went nuclear and, and carried the Mavericks on his back. Um, and then game six, game seven. And and both of those games were blowouts as well by the Mavericks. The Suns didn't even really have a chance in either of those games. So it was just it was just kind of crazy to see the Suns, who had by far the best record in the regular season, fall in that manner to a team that hadn't really experienced any level of playoff success um, with this current nucleus of players. Um, and one more thing I'll shout out, uh, Spencer Dinwiddie. I know we, we talked about that trade, uh, where they traded away Porzingis. They got back Spencer Dinwiddie and Bertons and whether or not that was going to be good for the Mavs or for the Wizards. And, you know, maybe it works out for the Wizards in the long run, but what the Mavericks got was a guy in Spencer Dinwiddie who really made a huge difference to that team coming off the bench for the most part, but being there in clutch moments, a guy who uh, was competitive, who really, it seemed like found his, like found his way and found his mojo. uh, Once he got to Dallas after injuries in Brooklyn, more injuries and just general ineffectiveness in Washington, he comes to Dallas and all of a sudden they start deploying him in the right way. That's been a huge catalyst for them as well as the development of Jalen Brunson. Sorry, Mike, but uh, 
Jalen Brunson like has been huge for him. He's going to get a pretty big contract, I think, when it comes time. So I don't know. I mean, the Mavericks really impressed me. And who knows if they're going to progress to the finals or not. But, uh, you know, getting to this point, I think, with, with their young core, this is a really big step for them and for Jason Kidd as a coach and his legacy too. Yeah, I think so as well. And I mean, just to like build on some of the things that you were talking about slash put some stats to that. Uh, you talked about like Spencer Dinwiddie coming over and performing in the clutch before the, before that trade, the Mavericks were rated the least efficient team in the clutch in the NBA. Since that trade, they are ranked number one. So you get rid of Porzingis, you get Dinwiddie, and you go from worst to first in clutch situations. So that's first of all. Second of all, Spencer Dinwiddie and Luka are the first teammates since Shaq and Kobe to each score 30-plus points in a Game 7. Okay, There's two stats. Number three, let's make it a splash of stats. This is the fifth time that Chris Paul has lost a seven-game series after starting off up 2-0. So I think those three stats each like qualify different things that you brought up at different points there. But yeah, Luca's crazy. Um, let's just say that. Uh, and I think that adds even more pressure Like when we look at Jason Kidd being hired. Yes, there's pressure for the two reasons that you laid out. You know, his... Uh, shortcomings in Milwaukee and his reputation as a player in Dallas. But there's always pressure on a coach coming in when you're handing them the reins to a team with a transcendent player like Luca, because you know you have to manage that perfectly as well. Imagine like going into a situation as a coach and not just having to worry about like the X's and O's, but also like keeping this franchise player happy. Because the last thing you want to happen is to like bump heads there and have Luca say he doesn't want to be in Dallas anymore. But also, also, I was surprised by Jason Kidd's defense of coaching. Like, yeah, he played good defense as a guard, but the way they defended Phoenix, especially in the last like three games of that series, was just fantastic. One thing that grabs my attention is the way they were able to neutralize DeAndre Ayton who thrives off of exploiting mismatches. Um, he thrives in these drop coverages where he's able to get these like A, easy rolls to the basket, or B, those nice little like 15-footers. They were able to cut off both of those. Um, so much so that on the rare occasion that DeAndre Ayton was able to get a, a mismatch in the post, Phoenix just wasn't expecting it. They, they were not feeding DeAndre Ayton in Game 7, period. And, and yes, like if you're Ayton... Like you can do other things to get involved, but it's disheartening when you're a big and you're not getting fed down there. You want to eat, you know, but it it was a dismantling. Phoenix never had the lead the entire game seven. And like you said, they didn't really have a chance in game six either. Um, so shout out to Dallas. Uh, a few episodes ago for off the top, you had asked me to defend the championship aspirations of three different teams. And in that conversation, we ended up talking about like, the Bucks being scary or, you know, and I said, they're much scarier than Phoenix. Uh, 
feel good about that now. I mean, obviously the Bucks lost too, but like at least theirs was like they put up a fight. Phoenix just kind of like laid down and just accepted it. So, well, I think that leads us very nicely into talking about that series. Obviously, the the Boston Celtics versus the Milwaukee Bucks, and really what I think was probably the best series out of any of them uh, in this past round. I mean, you have the the defending champs coming up against a team that really hasn't experienced a whole lot of success in quite some time, but historically is the most successful franchise of all time. And the Celtics were finally able to cross that threshold from kind of up and coming, uh, you know, hopeful, like makes the playoffs, but doesn't quite go that far. And they were finally able to cross that threshold into a real contender. And so much of that was due to the defensive scheme changes that they made um, in the second half of the season that ended up proving vital. And what's crazy is that Robert Williams was a big piece of that, but Robert Williams hasn't even been playing for quite some time and they were still able to play decent defense. Obviously Giannis is going to Giannis, but I'll also say Chris Middleton missing was pretty devastating for them too. If I look back to the, uh, the Hawks series last year, if Chris Middleton is not playing, then maybe the Hawks end up winning that series. Maybe they win the whole thing because he was going off against the Hawks, making all types of shots he had no business of making. So that definitely made it a little easier on the Celtics, but still their defense really stood out. And you know, Jason Tatum, I haven't really been a huge fan of his. I feel like he's just kind of acted like he was one of the guys before he actually was. But this series, I mean, he backed it up for sure. When it came down to Game 7, you would think, oh, the Bucks, they, they've got the championship pedigree. They've been there. They're going to have what it takes. Nope, they got absolutely blown out by the Celtics. They only scored 81 points. And you know what? Freaking Grant Williams coming out of nowhere, who used to not even shoot threes, Really, when he came into the league, he was not a great three-point shooter. All of a sudden, now he's out here draining seven threes, scoring 27 points. I got to say, I just was not expecting it. Um, I would have thought the Bucks would have won that that game seven. But, you know, shout out to the Celtics. You know, Ime Udoka is, was the right choice to be the coach. And last thing, I remember when Brad Stevens, like when he became a member of their front office, and stepped away from the coaching role, we were all like, wait, what? That is not what we were expecting to hear at all. Brad Stevens was a good coach, but it ended up being the right decision. I don't think the the Celtics got further than this under Brad Stevens' tenure uh, as the head coach, and I think he's done a good job in the front office, and Yudoka's shown what he can do, and with his, you know, and with the adjustments, with the way that the team has worked through their chemistry issues. That was a big thing too for them. Um, everything is just kind of showed that they're maturing and that they're ready to, to challenge the heat and what'll be a very interesting uh, conference finals in the East. Yeah. I think how well Ime Adoka has been 
in his first season as head coach has been like shocking to me in in the best way of course um yeah it's tough that the bucks had to play without chris middleton but if you're the celtics you still got you still get to say like yeah even if we didn't take down a like 100% milwaukee team we took down like giannis at giannis's best and giannis is one of the best if not the best players in basketball like that's worth being super hype about. One thing I'm looking at with this series, if you think about like what makes a championship team, a lot of the time people will think about like, you know, a point guard and a big. And while that is often the case, it's not always the case. What we see with decent frequency throughout NBA history is like one or two two-way uh two-way wings uh at least one of whom can get his own shot jason tatum and Jalen brown combined for like 50 over this series um not a game but tatum was averaging just under 28 Jalen brown putting in 22 of his own Jalen brown is a great defender jason tatum is a solid defender not quite at brown's level defensively but you can play that defense and the two of them together just put in that work and shout out Al Horford averaging that double double, but also like that veteran presence um, at like 36 years old. My guy's out there getting it done. And I guess now's as good a time as any to say, like, I'm happy with the four teams left. Um, I know who I'm rooting for, but there's no team that can win that I'll be like legitimately upset about, you know? If the team that I'm rooting for doesn't win, like whatever, but like there's something cool about all four of these teams. And with the Celtics, that for me, that would be to seeing that would be to see Al Horford win his ring. Um, but shout out to him and shout out to Giannis. I mean, I already mentioned it briefly, but like the dude just does everything and puts his all into every play. And so, yeah, he doesn't get the repeat. But still, like, he he gave us his very best until the end. And, you know, I can't fault him at all for that. The Celtics were just clicking on all cylinders. They did everything they needed to do. Their scheme was top-notch. So very good job for them. I will say, um, on a less serious note, buddy from high school, shout-out to Dre. Watching his Facebook, he's a big Celtics fan, watching his Facebook posts, like over this series is just comedy. Like he'd be like, someone help me. I'm not okay. I'm like hurting. And I'm, and then his family's like, are you what? And he's like, Celtics are losing. And he'd be like, I'm, I'm nervous. The bucks are going to game one bucks are going to sweep us. It's over game seven. Like, oh my gosh. I'm like, Oh yeah. It was never in doubt. We're good. We're good. I'm like, what? <laughs> but you know, good for you, man. Congratulations. <laughs> well, I I heard you mention that you think you know who you're going to be cheering for to win the the NBA Finals this year. I can only imagine that that would be because your favorite player in the NBA is on one of those teams. That's Jimmy Butler, and that's the Miami Heat. So let's talk about. Wait, am I right? Okay, absolutely. Okay, yeah. yeah, I was no about question. to say. If you're like randomly like, 
the warriors i'd be like why uh but <laughs> but anyway so <laughs> yeah uh, but yeah so let's talk about that heat sixers series now um mike what were your big takeaways from that series miami winning that one four to two obviously joel Embiid got hurt during that the whole james harden thing uh what what were your thoughts on um on the heat versus the Sixers in the conference semis. One thing that's interesting to me about the heat. It's a weird place to start, but looking at Duncan Robinson of the last like two years compared to like how he's being utilized, if at all now. um, And, and part of that is just like the emergence of like Max Struess, for example, has been good. Um, Gabe Vincent is doing well. Uh, Tyler Hero is doing Tyler Hero things. Of course, PJ Tucker, that's a great addition uh, for what he gives you on the defensive end. But as I look at this like this team, it's a lot of guys that, that know their roles and that complement each other extremely well. And for that reason, I'm really looking forward to this Celtics matchup. Two of the most like well-constructed teams in the NBA. And of course, that starts with my favorite player, Jimmy Butler, who over the course of that that series with the Sixers, 27.5 points a game, 7.5 rebounds, 5.5 assists, just under two steals a game. Talking about a player that can get it done on both ends, my goodness. You already know how I feel about Jimmy Butler. I've said it plenty of times before, but you know, on any given day, he can look like a, the 25th best player in the NBA. On any given day, he can look like the best. And he spent a lot of time in that series looking like one of the best. And I think that's going to be a huge X factor in this series. For how many of these games against the Celtics does Jimmy Butler look like the best or one of the best players in the NBA? I'm looking at that matchup between Jimmy Butler and Jason Tatum. And I am going to address the Sixers real quick but in just a second. But I think that... Jason Tatum is more likely to just drop 50 on you. But the but Jimmy Butler affects the game in more ways. And so he has everything it takes to be the best player in this series. I think that's going to be the X factor there. But the main thing I want to say about Philadelphia real quick is you have the Ben Simmons nonsense all season. You trade for James Harden. Dave, you and I talk about that trade on the podcast and who wins that trade. And we talked about like how nice it is for them to be get for them to be rid of that drama, all this. They get James Harden just for him to shoot twice in the second half of that game six. Dude looks disinterested. I feel bad for Embiid, honestly. Have the season of your career. You're balling in the playoffs. You're playing through multiple injuries, as always he is, right? But he's got the face mask on. He's got the the leg pain. And he just has to deal with this nonsense. Um, It's sad. I don't know what Philadelphia does moving forward. I certainly wouldn't offer much money to James Harden, but then that means they really, really lost that trade because then you trade Simmons for nothing, basically, if you don't get Harden back. Um, I will say like that a criticism that I've had of Embiid in the past 
did reign true again in that game six. And I'm not going to push him too hard on this. All the praise in the world, he was carrying that team and he was hurt. But if you remember what I said about him against the Hawks last year, it's he can dominate every possession, but then he settles for a lot of jumpers. And I think it was Chris Broussard that said it best like last week, but but he may as well have been 6'5 in that game six because he was not interested in like banging down low. Again, not blaming him because of the injuries, but like that's something that I've seen in numerous series over his career now. And that's going to be the next step he needs to take because all the fun of having Embiid goes away if he's settling for elbow jumpers. First things first, the Simmons-Harden trade. The big thing for me was that take away Ben Simmons, take away James Harden, the Nets are getting a couple of first rounders in there. So like, let's say neither of like neither of them stick around or are productive for like the next, like the following years or whatever. The Nets still get these picks that they can use to develop these future assets. The, Six, the Sixers like went for it. They're like, oh, James Harden is the, is the guy that we needed to go like to pair with Joel Embiid with Tobias Harris as a, distant third of a big three which Tyrese Maxey probably ended up being more of the third guy (laughs) which I will mention him he had a very good season uh Tyrese Maxey did I think kind of came out of nowhere um nobody was really talking about him when they were talking about the Sixers but James Harden actually I think did have a a positive impact on Tyrese Maxey at least um Maybe not the Sixers in general, but, uh, or like, actually, I will say he probably had a positive impact on the revenue of strip clubs in the Philadelphia area. But other than that, and Tyrese Maxey, <laughs> not a whole lot. But uh, that's beside the point. But anyway, I think the Nets, I said at the time, the Nets win this trade. I will repeat again the Nets won the trade. I don't care that Simmons didn't play at all. Um, you could argue that James Harden, while he did have a couple of good games in that series, he he didn't come through. He was not the guy when they needed him to be. And maybe he's just going to be one of those that is paid like a, you know, like one of the best players in the league, but isn't the type of guy who can lead your team to, uh, to the promised land. He's not the, the guy who's going to come in and save um, your franchise. He's just going to come in, do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, and then leave. Um, cause he's not satisfied anymore or because there aren't any new strippers for him to throw money at. My man throws more dollars in the club than he does balls at the basket. I mean, you're not wrong. And I will say the change that they made, uh, to the, to like drawing fouls and like cheap fouls and stuff like that. I think that did affect him in some ways, but I think he, he was starting to decline before that even happened too. I wouldn't just say, Oh, like now he now he can't limit the free throw line all game. So that that's the reason why he's not as good anymore. I do think that continuously getting to the free throw line helps you stay in a rhythm and gives you obviously a lot of quote free points. But yeah, I mean Harden was a disappointment, of course. Like you said, Embiid, he did all he could. They just didn't quite have enough. Uh I was disappointed with um uh, how little Matisse Thibault played. I think that he didn't really have much of a chance 
uh, to make much impact on the game from the Sixers' point of view. So that was that was kind of unfortunate. As far as the Heat go, I agree. I think the Heat and the Celtics, that's a really good matchup. I think they're similar in a lot of respects. Uh, and some of those individual matchups are going to be interesting to watch. But I think both teams really compete. Like, really compete. It reminds me a little bit of college basketball in terms of the defensive cohesion, the commitment to defense. Um, and you can just tell that they've been coached well and coached hard. And you've got a guy like Eric Spolstra who, once again, is one of the better coaches in the league, as he has been for however long now. And, you know, Yudoka, who's in his first season, um, who's also shown that he, you know, he can hang with the with the big guns too. So that's going to be very interesting to watch. And looking at the other conference final series, so that'll be the, that takes us to the the Warriors, who are going to be facing the Mavericks in that series. And the Warriors are a team that everyone knows about. Everyone knows that, uh, you know, their, their recent history and this season finally seems like the season where they're back in a, in a way, but it's not, it's never going to be the same as, as it was a few years ago, I don't think, but they're back and, and maybe not better, but different and still effective. Steph is still going to have that gravitational pull, which is everybody knows, everybody knows how great he is, but the effect that he's had on the development of some of the Warriors younger players. And I'll, I mean, I'll give some credit to Draymond Green as for that too. I think those guys have really taken to some of these younger players and really worked to help develop them as well as the Warriors coaching staff, of course. But I mean, you look at uh, guys like Jordan Poole, Gary Payton, Kuminga. I mean, these guys are, are if not teenagers, then like, you know, su- like super young in the league, but they're learning from the best. And I think it, it shows uh, where maybe Steph isn't exactly where he used to be. Uh, Draymond definitely isn't, but they've drafted well, they've developed well, and that's a sign of a good organization. Um, I think that series, of course, is marred by the fact that John Morant got hurt. Really sad to see. I've personally, I mean, we're talking about my uh, favorite NBA players uh, when we did those top five uh, rankings a few episodes ago. John Morant was uh, was near the top of my list for my favorite players in the NBA. And this season, I mean, he has been un- like unbelievable. He's been so good. The Grizzlies as a whole were so good. But I got to say, when I look at Morant, I'm kind of not surprised he got hurt. And he's also like not the biggest guy either. I mean, he's got that like crazy athleticism and everything. But when you're, you know, when you're utilizing your body like that, when you're going 100 so often, it can cause some stress on you. And I think that's that's kind of what happened to to John, unfortunately. I don't think that whole like uh, grabbing at him or whatever, that is not what caused that injury. <laughs> but... But I mean, the Grizzlies, like, sure, they lost the series. And I think as soon as Jaw went down, it was pretty obvious that they weren't going to be able to close it out without him. But they, their future is very bright. 
I think the Warriors, the combination of that experience and the youth uh, working together is really what what drove them through the series and landed them with a matchup with the Mavericks in the conference finals. If Memphis is able to keep this team together, this core of guys, that's a championship waiting to happen before too long. I mean, it starts with John Morant. In three games, dude averaged like 38 points a game in this series. In addition to like eight assists a game. Unreal. And yeah, I I don't think that injury was caused by the, the leg grab. Um, but the way he plays, and to his credit, this is part of what makes John Morant so fun to watch. You know, he dives for all these loose balls. He He plays 100 miles an hour. He doesn't really consider the possibility of getting hurt. Um, that's not good for his like long-term durability, but it's what makes him who he is. I, I don't know where we, like how we navigate the crossroads of like, we want you to be you, but be careful, you know? Um, but it does sort of, I mean, I mean, not that these are really that comparable, but like, it gives me like those RG3 vibes of like, Hey, the, we want you to be you on the field because of like, you know, the great things you can do out there. But what was his own undoing was like not being careful. And Grant, like the coach is not pulling him as well. But you know what I'm getting at? Like the the coach is needing to protect him from himself. And that might be something that needs to be addressed with John Moran. Um, however, one thing that gets my attention is game five of this series without John Morant the the Grizzlies win by like 39 points um that's that is a team that has freaking fight in them um and looking at that the box score of that game like you get 21 apiece from Jaron Jackson Jr, Tyus Jones and Desmond Bain you get a good two-way a good two-way performance from Dylan Brooks you get Decent scoring off the bench from players like Melton, Zaire Williams, uh, Brandon Clark. Uh, it, it feels like grit and grind is back, but with this like new manifestation and the one thing that that old Grizzlies team didn't have, an electric superstar like John Morant. Yeah, going forward, I'm super excited about this team. Um, but the Warriors, yeah... Like you said, they're back, but different. Um, the emergence of Jordan Poole this season has been super special to watch. The third Splash Brother. <laughs> I'm interested in this uh, Mavericks Warriors series because, yes, like both of these teams have like, like are well constructed, um, have good supporting pieces, but this series feels like Steph versus Luca in a lot of ways. Like that might that like that'll be where a lot of the attention goes, and their games are different. But a lot of what we'll see is like who's making like the bigger shots, um, as opposed to like muscling in a lot of the time. Um, I'm interested in that aspect of this series. Um, which of these two, the the new like up and coming potential face of the NBA, versus like the revolutionary talent that is Steph Curry. Um, 
one being like 22, 23 years old, the other being like in his, in his thirties. Um, will it be the young guy or the, the older guy? Um, and the team is built around them. Meanwhile, being coached both by former, former NBA point guards, albeit one had a much better career as a player than the other, uh, in Jason Kidd and Steve Kerr. I think it's interesting because there are plenty of similarities between these teams and those are different compared to the similarities that we looked at between Boston and Miami. And so in both conference finals, we are kind of looking at like which team is going to do this certain thing better. Yeah. uh, I think you have to give credit to to those top guys, to Doncic, to Curry. I'm looking at Clay Thompson, who I realize we haven't even said his name so far. Um, the fact that this is his first season back after missing so long, and he's really looking like the old Clay. Like shout out to him. I mean that he was gone for like what two years, two and a half years, and come you know he comes back and he's made a huge difference for that team. Like. The Warriors made the play-in tournament last year. This year, they had one of the better records in the West and find themselves in the conference finals. Um, And I think they have to be the favorite to go on and represent the West in the finals. Uh, With Steph, Clay, Draymond. I mean, Draymond had some injury issues as well this year, but... And, you know, in that, that closeout game, he was back to his old ways. I think Clay is the third, like by far the third best player in the series. I'm wondering, you know, if Luca and Steph cancel each other out, are we looking at Jalen Brunson to go toe to toe with Clay? Are we looking at Spencer Dinwiddie to go toe to toe with Clay? I mean, I'm taking Clay every day of the week. So I think the Warriors, again, they've got that experience. The Mavericks, I mean, looking at uh, what happened with Dirk, Dirk made the the Western Conference Finals and then bowed out to the Spurs. Uh, He also got hurt in that series, but still. Uh, But that was still when like the, like he was still pretty young, kind of around Luka's age. And it wasn't, they weren't quite ready. Um, Obviously, he ended up coming back and and leading them to that title later on. But I'm thinking maybe it's it's kind of a similar vibe of you know they they ended up making it the conference finals for the first time. But the Warriors, I think they just have a little bit too much in the tank. They've got the experience. They're really feeling it. Like they they really felt that. I think, in in my opinion, the last couple of years where Clay's been out have just been biding time developing younger players, making sure that they have a more well-rounded roster so that when Clay came back, they were ready and they still have that championship pedigree on that team up and down the roster. So yeah, I think the Warriors will probably take this series and make it to the finals. I'll probably say in six games because uh, I think the Mavericks will still, like Luka will be too much in a couple of those, but I think the Warriors overall, they ha- they have too much talent and they're they're hungry after not really being a part of the of the picture. I think they want to prove that they're still here. Um, 
Steph's still Steph, Clay's still Clay, Draymond's still Draymond, and they can come back and after some of the injury uh, issues that they've dealt with, that they can be the the um, the champions of the league once again. So I'm also picking Golden State to win this series for the same reasons that you listed out. Um, there's going to be a game or two where Luka just goes berserk, doing things that only he could do. Let's let's be real. But I mean, the word you use was pedigree, and I agree with that. And even if Draymond isn't playing the best, something needs to be said about on-court leadership, which he has that I don't really see like to nearly the same degree on Dallas. And that becomes an extension of like coaching, right? A coach on the court, but it's also like doing valuable things for you. So yeah, I do think Golden State takes this. I think six is reasonable. So we both have Golden State in the in the finals as our prediction. Dave, who are you predicting to meet them there from the East? I think this was a lot tougher to pick. We were just talking earlier about how we think these teams are pretty similar. Potentially two of the most similar teams in the NBA to each other. So I know that you're going to say the Heat uh, because that's who you're going to be cheering for and also because you love Jimmy and also because it makes a lot of sense. But it also makes a lot of sense to pick the Celtics and that's what I'm going to do. I want to say the Celtics win it in seven. I think them beating the Bucks is exactly what they needed to get over the hump that they've been uh, stopped by for the past couple of years. It's been 12 years since the Celtics made the finals. And I, and I think they're going to get back to the promised land again. And we're going to see a, a warrior Celtics finals, which should be very interesting. You kind of got the, the old like historic team versus like the new uh, dynasty that's still trying to, you know, be kind of like those old Celtics teams were in the past. I mean, not exactly the same. We're never going to see anything like that ever again, but, but still, and the Celtics, I, I think maybe now, now is their time after a lot of time, just kind of grinding, treading water, going through, you know, on, on the court issues, off the court issues. They finally figured it out and that'll, that'll put them over the top and get them into the NBA finals this season for a lot of reasons my head is saying boston and i think the main reason is you know how you were saying in the west like if uh luca and steph more or less cancel each other out you know who's the next best player clay by a long shot looking at that same like thought process in this series give me jalen brown over bam Adebayo. For, like in a vacuum, first of all. But second of all, Jalen Brown can go get his own shot. He can be a big-time shot maker. Um, if they neutralize Jimmy, let's say, in a, um, a last-second scenario, who are you giving the ball to? Like Kyle Lowry, if he comes back, like assuming he's back from the injury and everything. Um, Tyler Hero, probably. Um probably not bam to like go create something, especially if you need a three. Um, I feel way better about Jalen Brown than any of, any of those guys that I just listed. And that isn't just for like a last second thing that lasts like this entire series. He, um, he can be that, that one B it seems, uh, to Jason Tatum. 
But I am going with Miami. Miami versus Golden State in the finals. Who do you think wins that? Okay, so Miami versus Golden State. At that point, I'd probably pick Golden State. Uh, I'll be rooting for Miami, but Steph and Clay. It's it's too much firepower. It's it's not the type of force that Jimmy is really designed to neutralize uh, in the same way that he he can switching on to the hotter of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. While I think that Jimmy Butler has a much higher ceiling than, like, at least right now. I'm not talking about the f- future projections, but within this playoffs, I think Jimmy Butler has a higher ceiling in terms of what he can give your team than Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. I don't think that compared to Steph Curry. The impact that Steph Curry can have on any given game is astronomical, and that's not even factoring factoring in the potential of Clay Thompson dropping like 40 points without dribbling the basketball. Golden State, specifically just Steph and Clay. Now you add Jordan Poole, it's it seems like too much. Is it impossible for for Miami to beat them? No, of course not. And and I'd be rooting for them, but I I would pick Golden State in 6 in that matchup. Yeah, I definitely think it's hard to pick against Golden State given their again, their pedigree, the caliber of stars that they have on their roster, the talent that they have, the coaching, all of those things. I will say though, I think the Celtics match up fairly well against the Warriors. You've got the, your defensive player of the year in Marcus Smart, who can at least make Steph's life a little bit more difficult. Maybe not stop him, but slow him down a little bit at least. And Boston's defense has been so good that maybe it'll it'll stop Clay from getting as, as many open shots. They're going to make them work for everything that they've got. And defensively speaking, I mean, Draymond's still great. Andrew Wiggins has been a much better defender since coming to Golden State than he was. But I mean, who on Golden State is realistically going to guard Jalen Brown and and Tatum? Like, I don't know. Like, they don't have the Iguodala of years past. <laughs> so, I don't know. I think, I think the Celtics match up fairly well. It's a big call. I'm going to go Celtics in seven. Tatum solidifies his his status as one of the better, if not the, one of the best players in the NBA and his superstar status. And Al, Al Horford gets that ring. Uh, shout out to him. So yeah, I'm going to go with that. But I think the, you know, the Celtics heat series and whoever ends up in the finals, I mean, all, all of these games are, and all these series are going to be really good. Uh, so it's going to be a lot of fun for us neutrals. Uh, maybe not for your friend from high school. though. <laughs> uh, no, though if my predictions come true, then I'm sure he, he will be over the moon. Um, but, but yeah, so that's what I'm going to go with Celtics and seven. I will say as for like cementing Jason Tatum's superstardom or superstar status, what a, a narrative that would be for this season. You sweep KD in the nets. Then you beat Giannis in seven, one of the best, if not the best players in basketball. Then you overcome this Miami team 
with Jimmy Butler um, and the, the well-constructed team that is Miami just to go to the finals and then beat the two greatest shooters that have ever touched a basketball and, like, I guess the dynasty of this like generation, really, in the Golden State Warriors, that would be a uh, a playoff story for a guy. And I, I'm assuming he would win Finals MVP. Like, just you know, it seems the most likely if they win. So for him to win Finals MVP on top of all that, yeah, he would absolutely have arrived at that point. Also, more um, more niche, but also just as an important subplot. Daniel Tice signing that contract with the Rockets <laughs> for all that money, coming back to the Celtics and winning that championship. I mean, what a story that would be. I mean, talking about a guy who's getting it all, like, dang. <laughs> yeah, I still want Miami to win despite that. I mean, it's not like we even like Daniel Tice, but that would be hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Secure the bag, get the ring, the whole thing. And I don't know if you remember who went off in the G League and therefore got signed to a contract by the Boston Celtics. But your guy, Nick Stoskis, my man, out of Michigan. Would get that ring. So interestingly enough, no matter what team wins the NBA championship this year, a former Michigan Wolverine will get a ring. We got Stoskis on the Celtics, Duncan Robinson on the Heat, uh, Trey Burke and Tim Hardaway Jr. on the Mavericks, although Hardaway's not going to be playing because of an injury, Um, and then Jordan Poole on the Warriors. So a Michigan player is getting a ring this year. That's going to wrap up our takeaways and our breakdown of – the conference semis and then who we think is going to win in the conference finals and in the finals itself. And when we come back, we're going to get into as always the hot seat and the fun fact. All right. So now it's time for this episode's edition of the hot seat. You know, sometimes we'll scour the sports world and go, Oh, what, like what would be a fun hot seat this time? You know, uh, sometimes we'll pull from these, random sports or whatever you know we've done like european soccer games and things yeah tonight is not one of those times uh if you like nba basketball you have already seen this we've got to talk about this man pat beverly man yeah he's been all over like like first take and all this talking primarily about like the Suns and chris paul uh among other topics and um this could have been a that's disrespectful. Suffice it to say, I don't disagree with every single thing he said, but still shut up. So like he was talking about how nobody in the league fears the Suns, as if the dude is like the representative of every player in the NBA. Um, but he said no one really fears the Suns. Instead, people fear Luca. He was throwing mad shade at Chris Paul. He called him a cone. Uh, the idea being that he doesn't play defense. Um, he just does the chippy fouls, but you can actually just like maneuver right around him. Uh, he claims to have like dominated him when he was in high school at like some, some camp, uh, where Chris Paul was already an NBA player. He's talked about like, you know, why doesn't Chris Paul get the same quote slander 
as other superstars when like other superstars fail to produce in big moments they get talked negatively about but the same doesn't happen for chris paul instead he seems to get more um sympathy let's call it you know you're free to feel those things but like it's also big talk for someone that was balanced like you've been watching the playoffs from home for a bit now dude yeah i mean i don't i honestly don't know who this guy thinks he is he's out here talking like he's a first ballot hall of famer and he's the one who's like one like who's produced all these big moments in the playoffs like no you haven't even gotten close my dude and and you will never be anywhere close to being as good of a player as chris paul and he's the one who's like nah he only like he doesn't even defend he just does these chippy fouls like what like that's what your game is predicated on dude like sure you play defense but your whole your whole mentality on defense is getting chippy getting in the guy's face making him like getting in his head making him overreact you know getting yourself thrown out of game sometimes too like i just don't it just seems very hypocritical to me i don't really understand it uh there were a couple of guys who had some things to say about patrick beverly um uh, matt barnes who has had, I mean, he's a polarizing figure as well, but I think he's actually done a lot better in the media than I would have expected. So, you know, you have to respect his opinion. He said, I feel like what Pat Beverly did today to Chris Paul was completely disrespectful and out of line. Pat Beverly's talking like he's that guy. You're not that guy, plain and simple. Chris Paul played terrible this series and his numbers are still better than your career numbers have ever been. Like facts. Then Damian Lillard, chimes in he says bra on tv acting like his word is law speaking on private convos and praying on their downfall this is weird behavior smh i ain't got a horse in the race and i'm like both of those are very fair like patrick beverly's talking like he's the like he's the shit he's not and he's also like who like just because he's on TV, he thinks he just, he can just say whatever he wants and like, like talk this is like big game or whatever. I don't really understand. I mean, if you look at Draymond, right? Draymond plays in a somewhat similar way to Patrick Beverly on the court. He's chippy. He's very vocal. He's physical. But at the same time, when Draymond does stuff in the media, you don't hear him saying all this kind of crazy stuff. Like he actually has really interesting insights and and things to say. And I think he's actually pretty good in the media, which I would not have thought based on how he is on the court and like how vocal he is and how much he likes to talk. But when he gets in the media, he actually is thoughtful it just kind of sounds like Patrick Beverly got these media appearances and was like, I'm here to like make headlines. I'm here to make sure that, you know, these, these networks know that I'm going to say these, this crazy stuff. So they're going to bring me back and then I'm going to be set, you know, once my playing career is over. I don't know. It's, it's just kind of crazy. And I think completely out of line and, and disrespectful. And especially like your team got ousted way earlier than the Suns did and you didn't play that well. So, and, and like, and, and you celebrated your, 
play-in victory like it was the NBA Finals. <laughs> like that was the biggest game of your life. I don't I don't know. It's it's just it's wild. Out of line, yeah. Out of character, no. I mean, what he is on the court is a pest, right? His if um if everyone in the NBA was cool, calm, and collected, you know, not prone to just like getting emotional or whatever, would Patrick Beverly have a job? I mean, m- maybe. Uh, but his defense, his defense is fine. Like, don't get me wrong. It looks better because he's able to get in guys' heads. Um, because he's able to like tick guys off, uh, be irritating, uh, etc. And that's all he seems to be doing now. But now it's like, what's the point? At least like on the court, you can say like, okay, well, if I get in this guy's head, he he won't play as well. I mean, it, he made it look like he was defending Kevin Durant just by making like just by getting Durant in his head. You know, that was a couple years back. But um, now it's just like, dude, all you're doing is just like calling Chris Paul out for no reason uh, and the reason I assume that to be is jealousy he's looking at Chris Paul like well I like Chris Paul don't have rings but Chris Paul is looked at as an all-time great and I'm looked at as a fringe starter or or even like player and well that's because you are and it's because Chris Paul is an all-time great uh if you could do the things that Chris Paul does you do them you just can't now the one thing that I'll like somewhat agree with him on was more like, so Jeremy Lin had tweeted about like wanting to see Chris Paul win a championship eventually because he deserves one to which Patrick Beverly had replied, like, why, like, why does he deserve one? And like, I can agree to that to an extent you don't deserve one without winning one, you know, like, the fact of the matter is I can't say Chris Paul deserves a championship because if he's always going to be the leader of the team or, you know, one of the best, if not the best players on the team, then to earn it, you win it. But that is the like the only thing that he's said that I can co-sign in the slightest degree. Just to jump off Chris Paul for a second, he did say in a separate conversation that he thought James Harden should get beyond super max dollars this season, like this offseason, which you know, tell, tells you right away that we shouldn't really take anything he says that seriously. Cause he's not be, he's not in his right mind. If he wants us to believe he thinks that. I don't know. It, it just kind of seems in bad taste to like, after the fact, call him out for no reason. I feel like next Patrick Beverly's going to be like, fight me in the ring, Chris Paul. Like he's going to try to do one of these boxing things. Like Frank Gore and Darren Williams or whoever else at this point. Like, <laughs> honestly, it's just, it just kind of seems all very immature. Absolutely. So, you know, do with, do what you will with Patrick Beverly's opinions. You already know that we won't really hold them too highly, but what we will hold highly is the information we're about to receive from Dave's fun fact. What do you got for us this episode? Well, I have a fun fact that was brought to my attention from a friend of the podcast. So shout out to Tyler. This episode's fun fact is brought to you by the United States of America. And the reason I say that is because it's about the bald eagle. 
and specifically about the size of said bald eagle and the nests of said bald eagle. So I don't know how many of you have actually seen a bald eagle in person before. I think I have, but just like flying far away from me. So I couldn't really tell. But these birds are like pretty intense. They grow to about three feet in height and their wingspan is six and a half feet long. So the the average person has a wingspan, tip of the middle finger to tip of the middle finger, that's about equal to his or her height. So if you're listening at home, just put your arms out like to your sides and that is about how tall you are. And if so if you're six feet, in theory, you have a six foot wingspan and the bald eagle would beat you by six inches there. Yeah. So that's that's one thing. Okay. This is a freaking giant bird. It's another <laughs> thing when you consider the nests that these bald eagles built. Okay. So it makes sense. A big bird is going to need a big nest. But how big, you might ask? Their nests may exceed eight feet wide, 12 feet high, and this is the kicker, weigh more than two tons. That's 4,000 pounds that this bald eagle is putting together out of all these like sticks and crap like that. Like, all I can say is like, I carried a, a desk chair, like, to be fair, it's not it's like a leather chair, whatever. I carried a leather chair up some stairs today and I was like, all right, I'm done for now. Let me drink some water and go back to work. Like this, these bald eagles, when they're creating these nests are taking 4,000 pounds worth of sticks and they're like their claws and their beaks and all that and putting it all together to make these like giant nests. That is wild to me, uh, pun intended. And uh, I have a picture here, which maybe we can share on social media, but it's of this like park ranger sitting in this bald eagle's nest. And like, it looks like he, like it was built for like, for him, <laughs> not for like a bird. It's, abs it's absolutely ridiculous. And like, it made me think, huh, maybe the bald eagle is actually like a pretty good animal to knit, to like have representing the United States. Cause this thing is a lot bigger and like fiercer, hardworking than I gave it credit for. So shout out to the bald eagle and whoever decided that that would be the United States like mascot, basically. Now that you mentioned, I have no idea who decided like this country needs a mascot. Right. Of all these birds out here, let's pick this one. Right. Or like out of all <laughs> Sorry, animals, hawks. let's pick a bird, <laughs> which would not be my go-to. <laughs> I'd be like, let's get like a bear or something that's going to intimidate. I'm saying. But, I, but at the same time, this bald eagle is like, I don't know if you've ever done the whole, like this animal versus this animal, who would win in a fight? I'm always like, these giant birds of prey actually have a major advantage because all they have to do is like swoop in and like claw you or whatever. And then they can just swoop away. They always have the high ground, no matter what. <laughs> it's like, 
if you're a leopard, like, what are you really going to do? You know, you, you wait for it to come to you and then you play bird baseball and hope that you can like jack slap it with your paw. You probably won't. And it's just that over and over yeah, again. Yeah, it's crazy. But anyway, that's my fun fact for this episode. I think that's going to go ahead and wrap up episode 29 of the Mike and Dave podcast. Thank you for listening on whatever platform you listen to us on. Uh, keep listening to us on that platform. And while you're there, drop that that five-star rating for us. You know we appreciate it. And follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Mike and Dave Pod. And let us know your thoughts uh, on anything that we've talked about. But tell us your uh, your NBA Finals predictions. Who do you think is getting there? Who's winning? How many games? And also, if you want to just join in on the the smearing Pat Beverly campaign, <laughs> be our guest. Keep it clean. The bruh, um, the Pat smear campaign. <laughs> join the Pat smear campaign. Hashtag hashtag Pat smear. <laughs> Mike and Dave Pod, and we will be back two Fridays from now, episode 30, which means you'll be getting an, a new top five. Let us know if there's anything that you want us to, to break down in that segment or anything else that you want to see discussed. As always, we're happy to interact with you. But until that time, this has been Mike. This has been Dave, and you've been listening to the Mike and Dave Podcast. And-